Hiya, and welcome to Hiding Behind the Music Stand. I'm your host, Patty Ryan, and with me is Nancy Oliveros, who is the co-founder and second violinist of the Artaria String Quartet based in the Twin Cities. She also is the director of the Artaria Chamber Music School, Stringwood Chamber Music Festival, and the ACMS Adult Program, and we'll be talking about the behind-the-scenes life in a string quartet. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Patty. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm going to switch up the order of my normal episode. I want to talk about our most upcoming project together, which is the Beethoven Cycle, our part two that we were interrupted by the pandemic. And our first concert of part two is happening on January 15th, 16th and 17th in Sunday Music Hall at Hamlin University, at Ernest Hall at St. Olaf College, and at Starling Recital Hall in Viterbo University. And it feels like we're almost at that pinnacle of the hike together that we're, you know, we've had so much preparation going into this. We have had an interruption. We've had to seek shelter in the middle of it. And now we're finally, our trekking poles are digging into the ground and we're putting one foot in front of the other and we're finally going to reach that summit. Are you yeah. as excited as I? I am about this. Oh, absolutely. I'm telling you, I, I'm with you all the way on that interruption thing. Oh my gosh. It, it really, it was like a, a rude awakening there for a moment there last March, 2020 that what? We can't finish the cycle. Right. Yeah. And then we got so busy with all of the other concerts that we had to prepare for just to survive. And I'm talking about our monthly virtual concerts and right. we had to get repertoire ready for every month and all that and put the Beethoven aside. And then when we started back rehearsing part two, it was amazing. Yeah. For me. Yeah. Like for you too, right? Because all that preparation was there. You know, I would highly recommend that. <laughs> you know, I mean, really like, like let it simmer. Yeah. Prepare it and let it simmer, do other things and then come back again, because coming back to it is way different than doing it the first time. Yeah. None of these pieces are the first time you've played them, right? Yeah. No. And that's the beauty of this too. But, you know, always coming to them with a freshness, you know, life is here now what's going on now and how do I think about these pieces now so they're ever changing ever evolving over decades in my case but even now just on the brink of performing part two all of these quartets yeah like I said it's just that we the four of us have had this incredible preparation put them aside and then the four of us pick them up again and in the rehearsals it's like meeting an old friend mm -hmm. again but mm -hmm. going deeper into the relationship yeah that's a great way of putting it and I I also think that by putting Beethoven aside and learning so much music so rapidly and with so many diverse backgrounds, it also informed what we love most about Beethoven. Mm. No kidding. Yeah. And, and not to not, I, I hope that didn't come across that what the other music we were playing was not at the same level. That's not what I mean. It's just Beethoven's language is so unique to him. Yeah. And we, of course, grow up learning all the symphonies, the sonatas, the other chamber music. And when we return to the string quartet medium with his pieces, it's just so poignant. And of course, he influenced so many others later, too. So it's just you can see this time lapse happen with the music that we're 
we're all performing together. For sure. You know, there are pinnacles. And I guess for me, they have to do with counterpoint. And I can't really reach further back than Bach for my own pinnacle. That's where things get started for me personally. And his counterpoint, he built his counterpoint to last. It's like he constructed something so well that its flexibility will allow it to last and last and grow and grow forever. Okay, now, so that's pinnacle one for me. And then then I get to Beethoven. Well, I get to Haydn, actually. Yeah, I get to Haydn. And again, it's counterpoint. It's like what he does with it. Oh, it's funny. It's dramatic. You know, he's, he's blasting through. He keeps creating new things through the counterpoint. And then, and then Beethoven, my gosh, huge, you know, and then from there, you know, we get all of this interest. It's like the big bang or something. And now we have all these sprinklings of aftermath of the big bang, you know, just incredible. The second Viennese school, (laughs) we get Shostakovich in there and we get Mm -hmm. all of these Rockberg for us, you know, Mm -hmm. all all of these things that just keep exploding, going further and further. But when we come back to Beethoven from doing all of this incredible repertoire, when we come back, it's like, oh my gosh, the profundity of what he did right. with CounterPoint. It captures everything about life. Yeah. We should save yeah. some of this conversation yeah. for yeah. later in the episode. But yeah. I mean, I you, you can tell, I think, from our language and how we're speaking about Beethoven that he's so integral to who we are and why we do what we do. Yes. And so that's where we are excited to talk about that further, as I said, Mm and later in the episode, but please go visit artariaquartet.com to go and see our concert schedule for our second part of our cycle, which is the first concert happening next weekend, but there's a second concert and there's a third concert that are happening in February and March. And it's incomplete if you just show up to one, I'd say. Oh yeah. You want to, you're going to hear all all the way to the end. Yeah. All the way to the end. Oh, that grossa fugue. We're ending with the grows a few, you know? Tell so, you, yeah, it's good. yeah, you yeah. gotta, gotta Fire go for works. that one. Yeah. Works at the end. All right. Obviously I spoke about this a bit when Ray was on the podcast. Mm-hmm. I met you through Norman Fisher, putting us in touch when you were looking for a cellist. And that's where I joined the quartet was mm-hmm. from that. And I remember one of my first things that I loved about working with you is that I could tease you and you would riff on top of me teasing you. <laughs> So one of the things, so one of the things was your tooth. Do you remember your tooth? What do you, how can I forget my tooth? <laughs> I've lived with my tooth my whole life. <laughs> yes, I remember my tooth. What no, did but, I say about it? I don't no, remember anything. Before you got your implants. Yes. You had this tooth yes. retainer. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I would make fun of that all the time. And you'd be like, shut up. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Look, I didn't tell you half of the stuff that happened. Like I go out to greet our audience after our concert at Sundon Hall and I'm wearing that stupid thing. And I'm talking and my tooth fell out. Yeah, right. That's right. No, I remember that. And I had to just act like, like, oh yeah, my tooth just fell out. <laughs> but that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it's always playful teasing, you know, things oh, like this. Sure. All right, Nancy, what's your most insane performance story? Well, there have been a few insane ones. Well, more than a few, but no, one that comes to mind is years ago. Okay, this was like December 1991. This is dark ages, okay? And so the quartet's living in Boston, and we had this opportunity to drive down to New York City, and it happened to fall on the same day that we were invited to play at Gil Kalish's event the same evening. So one was at noon, and then the other performance was 
was in the evening and actually not too far away from each other. So we took the opportunity to go and I was expecting our second baby. I was uh, six months pregnant. So when I got up in the morning, I felt a little under the weather, but we, you know, we got up early, super early. The quartet all drove down together in the same car, got down to New York. And as we're driving down there, I'm just, you know, I'm like developing a fever. I'm not feeling so great. So we get down there, performances at noon. I sweat my way through the performance at noon. John Gerlach was an incredible host for us. So nice. And that particular day, his wife had come to hear the concert, Hannah Gerlach. And she noticed throughout the performance how much I was perspiring. And I, afterwards, I realized I had completely soaked through my clothes. Now, I mean, really soaked. I was really perspiring at that point. And the quartet had plans to do some Christmas shopping for the afternoon and then go play at Gil Kalish's in the evening. So she came up to me and introduced herself, a really kind person, and said, you know, I'd like to invite you to come over to our apartment where we live. And I think you should rest before Mm -hmm. tonight. I was like, okay. So she took me, everybody else, I don't know where they put their instruments for the afternoon, but she took me. And by the time I got to her house, I was running a huge fever. She took my clothes. She put me in a hot tub with a pitcher of lemon water. And I'm sitting in this hot tub and now, and I'm chilled to the bone now. And I'm sitting in a hot tub. Yes. I've been in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sitting in this hot tub and she sent my concert clothes that I had taken off to the cleaners to be dry cleaned in the afternoon so I could wear them again in the evening. And then she came in with a flannel robe for me and she stuck me in bed under a huge comforter. And I was, you know, shivering and shaking and really sick. And the quartet, you know, they're checking in on me and everything's like, should we cancel? Should we let, Mm -hmm. we've got to cancel. I'm like, no, no, we've got to play this. This is a really important event. It was on behalf of Tanglewood where we had been in residence for a while. And so we, we needed to go over there and play. And so I'm laying in bed and I'm thinking, whose robe do I have on? Whose bed is this? Yeah. And so she came in and we're talking and things and, and I slept, I slept for two hours solid. Yeah. And then I woke up and I was, you know, I was a little bit better and everything, but she didn't give me any fever reducers or anything mm-hmm. because I was pregnant. Turns out that she and John Gerlach are the parents of Alexis Pia Gerlach, a cellist. She is the cellist of Trio Solisti and she has a beautiful career going on. But at the time she was a student at Yale. So her mom just took me home and took care of me mm-hmm. all afternoon. I will never forget that. And they sent me in a taxi to Gil Kalish's. I was sick as a dog playing that concert. It was just unreal. I can hardly remember anything about it except being there playing. I was totally out of my head. We got in the car. We drove back to Boston starting at 10 p.m. Drove straight to the emergency room in Boston with the quartet. And uh, they got me in there and it turned out that I had acute bronchitis and pharyngitis, acute pharyngitis. Couldn't give me any fever reducers because pregnancy, how far along I was in the pregnancy and all that sort of thing. And I remember just going home. It's like about four in the morning before I get home or five, whatever. And I got home and went to bed and was like, what just happened? Yeah. <laughs> 
mean, it was like my day, you know, I felt a little bit under the weather, you know, like, oh, I think it'll clear up. Holy cow. It was insane. Mm -hmm. But I will never, ever forget the kindness of that woman. I'm just so kind. That one sticks out for me. Sure. Again, for better or for worse, in a string quartet, you are unchangeable. You know, there's no yeah. substitute for you, oh, really. You know, oh, for, yeah, yeah, for any of us. I yeah. know. I know we are. Yes, I know. We're so, integral to the team. Right. And so if one of I mean, I've experienced yeah. this, like there's times where I really wished I could just stay in bed. But I said, you know, I have to play. I have to play. Yes. There's yeah. no other solution here. I mean, either hobbling over and sitting weird yeah. in my chair or yeah. having again, like the flu. Yeah or something and yeah. you just you just have to it's oh. it's character building let's just put it yeah, that way <laughs> let's put it that way you really find out who you are it, it's yeah it, yeah I know it I know it Patty again maybe we'll talk about this later but it's yep. it's a different kind of life mm-hmm. it is okay well thanks for sharing that and I'm yeah, glad that you ended up being okay <laughs> yeah, yeah no, you know I ended up fine it was just it was just just a 24-hour weirdness yeah. a 24-hour yeah just crazy <laughs> Okay, are you ready for some spitfire questions? Yes, I am. All right, Mahler or Bruckner? Oh, that's a t- well, no, Mahler for me. Bruckner's full of brass and winds. I think he's, <laughs> I think he's great, but too much. Mahler's where the strings are. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Debussy or Ravel? Ooh, Ravel. Okay, cats or dogs? Ooh, that's a tough one. I guess I'm going to have to say cats. Oh, yeah. That makes sushi happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my son, one of my sons has two dogs and a cat. And as much, honestly, as I love those dogs, there's just something about their cat. Mm -hmm. I'm bonded to him. I think it's because they don't demand attention. And I love dogs for that reason. Yeah. But cats allow you in. Yes. And I think that's the... You have to work your way in. Yeah. And then once you earn that trust with your... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's anyway. Mm-hmm. Obviously, yeah. that's where sushi and I, I know, are in our relationship. I know, I know. Yeah. All right. Appetizers or desserts? Oh, desserts. <laughs> okay. Can't you tell? <laughs> well, this is not for me, Nancy. This <laughs> is for the audience here. Oh, man. Desserts. Okay. Sparkling or still water? Oh, I am a water drinker and I just drink water. So still. Still. Okay. Fan favorite question. Alternate universe musical instrument. I'd sing. Okay. <laughs> I'm happy. I sorry, I did a little like small clap over here. I'm giving this away, but that's gonna be my answer too. For yourself? Yeah. And oh, I'm so I think it's maybe the way I've written the question to say instrument, yeah, but yeah. I would sing if I could. Oh but oh, because I yeah. can, I play cello. Like that's oh, how I view it. Oh, oh, for sure. But for you sure. have a really nice voice and I oh, don't look, I, I can put it this way. When I was younger, I had a nice voice. And I always think of that funny thing that my husband, whom I love dearly, said to our boys just a few years back, said to our sons, you know, when I met her, your mother was beautiful. You know what I'm like, race. And so when I think about my voice, when I was younger, my voice was pretty good. Okay. But I still love to sing. I love to sing. Yeah. I love to vocalize things because mm-hmm. that's the way I think of music. Well, same, I guess. And that's why I would wish to sing is that there's something about feeling that extension of intervals in your throat Mm -hmm. and producing that sound from a support system within your stomach area. Yes. Yes. Yeah. There's something about that is, yeah, just so human. It's so wonderful. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. Pandemic guilty pleasure? Eating. (laughs) (laughs) What else could it be? I could list about 25 pandemic guilty pleasures, (laughs) but the one that stands 
turns out <laughs> literally <laughs> is allowing myself those extra desserts. Yeah, fair enough. Favorite professor shout out. Oh, oh, oh. There are two, yeah. Roman Totenberg and Eugene Lehner. Well, I, I've heard the stories of Lehner in the past, but do you have any Totenberg stories? Oh, he was such a kind man. He stepped in at a time where I just really, really needed someone like him in my life. That's the best one. Teachers are right and at that he, yeah, sweet spot. So my father passed away in 1985 and he was the third man in my family to pass away in just a few years. And when my father died, I didn't handle it very well at all. Mm -hmm. I was so, so sad when my dad died. And I was supposed to go to Blue Hill, mm -hmm. Kniesel Hall, for the first time. And I went home, of course, for the funeral. And then I stayed home. And I just was so sad. And I, mm -hmm. I was in Wisconsin. And I asked my mother, please call Roland Totenberg and just please tell him I, I'm not coming. Yeah. And so she did call him. And the next thing I knew, I was on a flight to Boston to go to Kniesel Hall because he had said to her, oh, please send her to us. We'll take care of her. Mm -hmm. And he was so influential for me in my becoming okay with myself. Well, principally as a, as a musician, but it was all wrapped up in who you were as a person. He was interested in artists as people. So yeah, it was wonderful. I can say that he always pointed me in the right direction. Sure. And that was important for me because I am totally directionless. <laughs> pointed me in the right direction. Why didn't I see that punchline coming? <laughs> because it's like, that is the kind of person that I needed in my life. Yeah. Pointed me in the right directions all the time. And when you're grieving, that's yes. how it feels is that there's, you don't know what, what you can do. There's nothing right. you can, there's no, no time stops. Yeah. And decision-making has to be put off. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. And made it through that part of my life. Yeah. Well, we all, that's, that's the, that's, yeah. you have to remember when you are grieving is that it will surely uh, pass. And oh, I can say does, that now, Patty, you have so much wisdom at your age. Let me tell you, I, don't know. <laughs> I did not have that wisdom by that time. It was like the, the three important people in my life. Yeah. And I just, yeah. I was done. I was like, okay, everybody world go away. And Roman Tolbert said, no, 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 no. Well, and also for people like us, we need music, you know, in those yeah. moments when I was grieving, oh, the only yeah. thing I could do is play chamber music with my string oh. quartet at the time. Like that was oh, the only reason the I got out Patty? of bed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. from yeah, one string quartet oh, yeah. musician to another, like that's, I think Totenberg knew that, yes, you know, for yeah. sure. Knew that. One other little thing I wanted to bring up is that you have been mentioned as Alexandra's favorite professor. Oh, so you are also paying forth for other people oh, that's about sweet. being their direction pointer person. Oh, uh, that makes me feel very happy. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Most transformative performance experience? Oh, hands down. Okay, here it is. So misplaced performance anxiety, you know, like getting super, super nervous before my recitals at Boston University. So one day I was at the student union at Boston University, just I didn't live on campus and I, I didn't even eat in the student union. I just was walking down Commonwealth Avenue. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I walked in 
there. And they had this gigantic jobs board, a huge thing, and with post-it notes all over it, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just reading it. I don't know why, but I, I was just staying there reading it. And there was a note there that WBUR was looking to hire people as interns at the station. And I thought, hey, you know what? Before I get out of school, I should try something that I've never thought about doing. And so I, I walked across the street to WBUR and I said, what do I have to lose? Nothing. Yeah. And so I just walked in and I said, I'm here applying for the internship. And she went and got Steve Elman, great guy, music producer, director. And he came out and he said, and we talked for about five minutes about what I was doing. And I was like, oh, you're a musician and everything. And yeah, blah, blah, blah. And we talked about this and we talked about that. And he said, well, you're hired. Okay, we'll take you. I said, okay, great. And so I learned so much in that job. And the, the main thing that I learned, the transformative thing that I learned was when I first went on air live, one of my first on air live shows of performance today, I was trained in to be the director of that show. And I also was taught how to work with reel to reel tape. And we were live on air and I queued up my announcer and the engineer brought up the reel to reel and it was the wrong one for what was supposed to go on there. And I, of course, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but kind of these brain freeze things, you know, it was like, I didn't know what direction to go getting that mm -hmm. thing off of there and what to do. And it seemed like time was passing eternally by, but it was probably two seconds and Steve Elman threw the door open because he could hear dead space mm -hmm. on the air. Mm -hmm. And that is death in radio, right? Uh, six million listeners and there's dead space on the air. He flew in and he said, where's the right one? And I handed it to him and he flipped the other one off and got that one off of there and put the right one on. And he said, start over. And I queued everybody up again. The right thing went on. And then he came back in and he said, and now now you have to fix the timing okay we're seconds off from feeding back into the live feed from Washington. He mm -hmm. said, so figure it out. And so I did. I, I was like, okay, I had to figure out the, the minutes and the seconds and blah, 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 and all this stuff and how we were going to gracefully return back in and the whole bit. Well, okay, so the show gets over with in two hours. We're done. I come out of the booth and I'm walking down the hallway of the radio station and Steve's door is open and I peeked in the door and I said, Steve, and he goes, oh, hi. I said, oh, oh gosh, I just wanted to tell you how sorry I am. And he looked for a second. He was like, oh, and he looked at his watch. He goes, oh my gosh, that was two hours ago. And, and I said, yeah, he goes, oh, it's, it's fine. And I thought, oh my gosh, I made a huge mistake mm -hmm. and it's okay. Right. Well, that was right before my final recital on stage at Boston University. That took me a while to get. Sorry to interrupt. I'm telling story, you, I'm but... telling you the long story because yeah. that's what happened. I was backstage with my pianist and I was doing everything that I did on the radio. I was checking that my music was in order. I was checking that I had rosin on my bow. I was checking my tuning, you know, just I made sure to talk to the stage hand about where to position my stand. Mm -hmm. And then I walked out on stage to play. And as I started playing, I was like, oh, oh, okay. That, oh yeah. All right. That was a little, uh, let's get it better the next time. Oh, okay. Great. Good. Yeah. You know, and, I, and I'm like, oh, I slipped on that little one, but it was okay. They were just mistakes. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just played. I had, I, I, I was like, oh my gosh, you don't have to freak out. Right. Because you're going to play your instrument. You play your instrument. And, and I think it was at, at that moment that I stopped trying to perform. Mm-hmm. I stopped right. trying. Yeah. I, I got rid of the whole idea that you're going up there to perform for people. Right. You're sharing, you're playing mm-hmm. and joyfully. And I was immersed with my pianist more than I had ever been. I was like, this is fun. So anyway, that was my transformative performance. Page. Well, I mean, thank you for sharing that. I mean, I think so many people, including myself, have gone through so much of that stage fright. Yes. This expectation that, as you say, stopping this performing yeah. facade. Right. All you're doing is you're playing music. Like that's Yes. It's not like you're life is on the line here, you know? And I always look up to the people who already get that, you know, I mean, I wish I had gotten that earlier, but I, yeah, I was always afraid to perform and Mm. I realized, you know what? I don't want to perform anymore. I yeah. want to play my I want to play my instrument and share my music. Right. It's mo- way more genuine to get that kind of performance yes. as an audience than yeah. it is to have someone show up and try to be a showman person. Yes, I always thought yeah. that it was supposed to be perfect. And uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. thanks. Desert island piece of any genre? Oh, it'd be a string quartet. Gosh, I'm such a generalist. I don't really put any one thing up at the top. I guess I'd offer up Cavatina maybe or no, but I, I was going to say Cavatina, but it's so deep. And if I were on a desert Island, I'd want some entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. You know, something like salsa or something. Salsa oh, okay. Music. Sure. I'd all be right. fine with that. Yeah. All right. You've completed the Spitfire questions. Congratulations, Nancy. You did it. Thanks. When does that go up? Oh. Yeah, I like that. Okay, Okay, Nancy, can you walk me through your musical origin story? How did you discover a violin? When did you decide that that was going to be your path in career life? And walk me through your entire career if you can. I'm the youngest of five kids. And my dad was an avid amateur pianist and was playing piano in our living room all the time. All of my older siblings were playing instruments. And when I was very little, I guess maybe when I was six or so, I went to a violin recital with my dad and Jean-Jacques Contreau was playing on the international series in our town. And he sat up front and I turned to my dad and I said, I'd like to play the violin. And my sister was already playing cello and we had flute and clarinet and piano going and all that sort of thing. So my elementary school had a music program. And when I was seven, I started playing the violin at school. So that was how I got started. And my family was generally into creating our own music and plays and costumes, all kinds of things. Okay. And so it was very natural for me to be a musician. I just did music a lot in high school. I was doing all kinds of things with my music. And when it came time to going to college, I was not really given a choice as to where to go to college. I went to a very wonderful, small liberal arts college in 
in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And my violin teacher from eighth grade through high school was at Viterbo College, now called Viterbo University. She was head of the music department there, and she was very influential for me. She was a fine teacher for me. She had been a student of Rudolf Kolisch, Mm -hmm. which I didn't know at the time, but later found out. And when I entered Viterbo as a freshman, she had left to fulfill a Fulbright in Italy. And she provided a teacher for me from the St. Paul Chamber Orchestra, Juan Cunio, who would come to lacrosse twice a month and give me and four other violinists uh, lessons. Mm -hmm. And he had been a student of Fritz Kreisler Mm -hmm. and was a wonderful musical influence on me. So I was continuing just to do music. And my junior year of college, we actually got a new teacher. She had just finished her doctorate at Yale University and her husband was a doctor at Mayo. So she became my teacher for my junior year. And she said to me, have you ever been to a music festival during the summer? And I said, well, I've been to Allstate, something like that. She said, you know, there's one called Aspen and I think you should try for it. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And actually, the first time she told me to try for it is another story because I was in a piano trio with my sister at the time, ever since I was knee high to a grasshopper. And we played trios all through life and all through the Turbo University with a really fine pianist. And we auditioned as a trio and we got a letter back from cellist of the Juilliard Quartet. And he said, you know, we don't have a program for pre-existing groups, but if you all apply individually, I'll assign you to the same trio. Mm -hmm. And so we all applied individually and we all got accepted. But the pianist went on to Milwaukee that summer instead to play piano for the Milwaukee Ballet, some program thing. She had to earn money. And I decided to go. I got sort of talked into going to a program at the University of Iowa instead of going to Aspen. And Mm -hmm. so my sister went alone as a cellist. And she came back and she said, oh, you have to go to Aspen. You just Mm -hmm. have to do it. And so the next summer I went alone. And that was a life-changing experience for me, I hadn't decided anything. But my teacher there, Stephen Clapp, one day asked me, what do you aspire to do with your music? And I had no idea, but I I just said, well, I would like to perform as a chamber musician and I would like to teach. Well, there it is. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) You did it. (laughs) So, you know, from there, things happened. You know, I went to Florida State University and I went to Boston University for postgraduate study and the quartet formed in Boston and I started teaching. I was teaching at Florida State as a graduate student as well. And then I was teaching as uh, Mr. Totenberg's assistant at Boston University. And I was just doing all kinds of things like that. And so there I was doing that. I'm sad to say, I'm sorry to say, I never really made a decision to have a career in music. Right. I never really thought about how to make a career out of it, but I was doing it and I was doing fine. And I loved when our quartet formed and it was just, it was like the pinnacle of chamber music making is, yeah, yeah, for me, it was the string quartet. And there you have it. I've been doing this string quartetting for 36 years now and teaching. And I love to do both. I mean, yeah, I think in similar fashion, it's interesting because it's like you do, you're just doing something for yourself and learning it. And then someone along the way kind of just nudges you in one direction. And it's like, you're a leaf on a stream and you're just following the stream. And then some other current comes and that directs you another way. And that it seems like that's essentially, that's why you haven't really set yourself out to create a career in music. 
No, I kind of flowed in for you. In other words, it flowed in, in, you know, I didn't make strategic decisions Mm -hmm. to go to a certain place or try to study with a certain person. Mm -hmm. The people that I had the incredible luck to be studying with provided incredible inspiration for me. And yeah, it's like we're a vessel and it comes in and flows out, comes in, Mm -hmm. flows out. And so it was consoling for me, you know, often, you know, my performances allowed me to release a lot of emotion that needed to be. And teaching is just fascinating. Why are you fascinated by teaching? (laughs) Gosh, Patty, I don't know why I'm fascinated about teaching. (laughs) I don't know why I'm fascinated. It's just, it's difficult. It's important Mm -hmm. work. Oh gosh. Every time before my students arrive, I just practically say a little prayer that I'm going to say the right (laughs) thing. Don't let me say anything stupid today, please. It's like, you know, I mean, they're, they're, they're counting on me for, yeah. And, and I, you know, and technical advice. I've thought about it and it just keeps simmering, mm-hmm. shall I say, and curing and distilling. I mm-hmm. think what we say to our students, we continue to try to find the best way to say it for mm-hmm. that person and to show it and to be it and to do it. So teaching is fascinating. Yeah. It is a very human thing to do. Mm-hmm. It is who we are as social beings is somebody wants to know what we know about a certain thing. And I'm happy when somebody wants to learn something from me. <laughs> like, really? Okay, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and, I'm, and I've had to teach in different situations. You know, I've done college teaching and I've taught, you know, semester long classes, you know, pedagogy, mm-hmm. string mm-hmm. techniques, things mm-hmm. like that at the college level. And so I admire people who do that over a long period of time. You have to be organized and you have to have a goal. And then in the microcosm of it all, giving a lesson to somebody, there's a beginning and a middle and an end to the lesson. And so it's kind of like a baseball game, you know? Sure. That's one reason I absolutely love baseball is because Mm -hmm. there's an exposition development and recapitulation. Sure. I never thought about it that way, actually. But yeah, you're right. Yeah, I always do. That's why when they're, you know, at the bottom of the sixth and somebody's losing, I'm like, there's a lot of game left. That's right. And people start walking off the, you know, they're like, oh, whatever. I I stay until the final. Yeah. 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 Oh, come on. Yeah. We got to go to a ball game together. (laughs) Yeah, we got to go to a ball game. Yeah. Yeah. So teaching is good. Well, I'll leave this one final thought. You're reminding me of what you described Totenberg as, who was a teacher who looked at an artist like a human. He reached my humanity. He reached over the divide and he made such an impression on me. Absolutely. And I think that when you are a student of a teacher that works like that, the way that then you profess your knowledge to your students is in that lineage. And is that, so I, I think that's what you do to the students that are fortunate to have your tutelage. It's not just how do you execute play up bow, down bow. How do you shift? It's not just that there's a lot more. There's so much more underneath the surface of that technical. At least that's what me being a colleague of yours. That's what I see in your teaching. And frankly, that's why it's fun to coach with you. (laughs) It is. Oh, Patty, thank you. And Eugene Lehner. I mean, they, they spoke to me, you know, you can think of yourself as this being this entity, this being, and sometimes we're able to act like sponges. And sometimes we're just like a wall, a brick wall, and people are trying to help us. And we're just like, but (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I mean, we're just not ready to, yeah. we're just not ready to receive. And totally. then someone who has a vision and also, you know, you have people in your life and I have people in my life that were able to see who we were, saw the potential in us and saw yeah. the goodness. Whereas maybe I wasn't seeing that in myself or some, sometimes you wonder and you just don't know. And, and they're not saying, my teachers didn't say to me things, but they demonstrated through their involvement with me as a musician, as a person, you are worthy. You are worthy of my time. And I gained this feeling, this feeling that, oh, I'm, I'm among people that I understand, I can relate to. I certainly felt that way after I left high school mm -hmm. and college for me, it was very small, very few students at this little college, but that was the beauty of it is that I could be a musician and I could identify primarily through my music. I could communicate primarily that way. And other students on campus were, we were kind of all fine, you know, realizing who we were mm -hmm. and it was good. It was fine. It was okay. That reminds me of my transition into college as well. Undergraduate. Yeah. It's very similar. I thought I was a weirdo for playing cello and yeah. being so nerdy about it. And then yeah. I got to undergrad and I met people that made it yeah. okay. And Yeah. Anyway. I mean, I, yes, I was that way too. Unfortunately, I was at regular private schools where kids could feel free to bully you if they, they thought you were different. Yeah. And if they thought it, they could get away with it for whatever reason. And I was just a really good target for that stuff. And girls and boys, you know, would just make all kinds of remarks about me and my music. And that stopped when I left high school. It was like, all of a sudden I found myself, yeah, among my people, right? And we, it wasn't so much that I was trying to be a musician. It was that they got my jokes, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. Like you could be totally cracking up in rehearsals and that's where all the fun was. It was right. like, I can't wait to go to orchestra because we're all going to be just cracking up. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're all going to be just like, you know, and it was like, yeah, I wasn't going there to try to be a great musician. I was going to orchestra because it was fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, is this a good time to take a break? Yes. Okay. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the break. So what is life behind the scenes in the string quartet? Oh, it's great. It's where we get to practice our communication skills. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm interjecting here, but I, yeah. you're totally right. You know, I wish that we could have some kind of presentation for the world leaders of... <laughs> Yes. Our country, because I've learned, I think every day we test ourselves in yeah. rehearsal. It's amazing, isn't it, Patty? How, what yeah. a metaphor it is for life. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's breaking down barriers and taking down the walls and, you know, showing all your foibles and imperfections to each other and, and it's okay. I think behind the scenes, it's really exciting to, you know, start repertoire, start pieces, have first rehearsals and then get 
get into it and get things performance ready and then get through that first performance of the piece so that then you can really start developing your interpretations and all that sort of thing. I've watched a lot of these sort of Netflix documentaries about other creatives like writers for TV shows or actors mm -hmm. or things like this, but specifically let's talk about writers for television. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they say, or even for movies, oftentimes they say the first script is trash. You know, I'm comparing that to what we do in rehearsal because sure, we can get our duck in order and play in tune, get the right harmonies, play in rhythm, but that's rarely ever the first iteration of what we actually end up performing and producing. Right. It's this marination process, it's this negotiation as well of, is that really what the composer meant? Or maybe we can balance it this way, or what about, I know this is what people do, or I've heard people do it this way, but what if we try this other avenue? Uh, yeah. Let's, let's see those possibilities. And, you know, and I, I akin that to script writers futzing over words, and what words and you know or an actor interpreting a script and saying which word is the most important here etc cetera, etc cetera. oh yeah and i think that that's where oftentimes even if a quartet is willing to have an open rehearsal that's never really truly what you know an open rehearsal for a string quartet is like a still performance in a way yeah. you know we don't really get that much done in those things but no when all doors are closed the hope is that we provide each other a safe space to really explore oh yeah is yeah. it true? It's true. It's It would be kind of boring for people <laughs> to watch our actual rehearsals. <laughs> right. You know, because there's a lot of thinking that goes on and yeah. trial and error and a lot of repetition of yes. things. Yeah, we just sort of are able to show the highlights. And I think it's important that we do. We show the highlights to our students or to other audiences that want to know a little bit more about what the quartet's doing. But we sort of become one entity working together, you know, to come up with solutions to things or, mm -hmm. you know, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's so varied in the rehearsals from day to day. Mm -hmm. You know, even, even the days of the week are mm -hmm. so varied depending on how fresh we feel coming, you know, to rehearsal in the morning or, well, it's midweek and we're not starting this piece anymore. Let's get with it. We, we got to get in here now and yeah, make something of this. But the nice part is when we've spent some years together and you know each other's rehearsal style and you know what how to get into another person's head quickly. <laughs> for better or for worse again. <laughs> for better or for worse, you know. Pushing I mean? people's buttons. Oh, and yeah. yeah. Poor golly. You have to hold back, Patty. You have to hold back on pushing people's buttons. <laughs> you have to <laughs> okay, no more tooth jokes. No more tooth jokes. <laughs> right. No more tooth jokes. <laughs> you know, Patty, let's go back to the topic of the tooth. <laughs> because you have no idea how most of it was. So I have this tooth, in case you're listening, you really <laughs> you're care about this. I have this tooth that was injured when I was a child. Nobody was paying attention to the kid that was sitting on the top step. Well, you're I, the fifth out of seven. I guess. Yeah, oh, by that time, let me tell you, the fact that I survived my childhood, you know, <laughs> it's like, eh, survival of the fittest. So there it is. And I'm sitting there and I fell down the steps. I, I was two. I fell asleep watching my mother cut my older brother hair in the kitchen. I fell asleep and I fell down the wooden steps to the basement. Yikes. Right. And did it affect my brain? Probably. But nobody <laughs> cared about that. It was my tooth. <laughs> My and that's tooth. why you are the second. <laughs> this is why you're a string quartet musician. Yes. Because of that tumble. <laughs> exactly. 
exactly because of that. You could have been a sci- great scientist. <laughs> yes. I had great things going for me until that moment. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. Let me tell you. Um, anyway, yeah. So, so on the subject of my tooth, Patty, my entire life, my entire elementary school days were, it wasn't the baby tooth, it was the permanent tooth, came out looking like a chewed up popcorn seed. I am being frank. And I had to go through my entire grade school with people asking me, you know, you forgot to spit out the popcorn and all this crap, you know, shut up. So (laughs) then I was supposed to wait until I was finished growing so that I could have this thing fixed. But my sister, my oldest sister, went ahead and planned her wedding when I was only 13 years old. And my mother stepped in and said, you've got to have that tooth fixed. (laughs) So it's like, thanks, mom. Yeah, right. So that became the first of many in my life sagas until the final saga happened. I've had to have that root canal in there. I've had to have the whole bit going on, on, on. And finally, how many years ago was it? What was when I first joined the quartet. When you first joined the quartet? Yeah. Ah! Yeah. Okay. So that was what, five years ago? Yeah. So it's midnight. I am flossing my teeth. (laughs) And the tooth comes flying out. (laughs) Keep flying out. Oh, God. The tooth (laughs) came flying out of my mouth. And I picked up the phone and I called my dentist because I had something go. I I was teaching the next morning, first thing in the morning, and I had this gaping hole in front of my mouth. (laughs) I got him out of bed and he said, meet me at 7 a.m. And I met him at 7 a.m. And he took all these impressions and everything. And he said, okay, I'll have all this ready for you tomorrow. And I said, oh, no, you won't. You're having this ready for me today. Today, I am teaching this afternoon and I need a tooth in my mouth. So they, they did a rush order on it, and I got I got my tooth that eventually it would just slip in and out of my mouth until I got my permanent the implant. Right, right, right. How did okay. we? How did we get Because <laughs> I made because I made a joke about pushing our buttons and oh, I yeah, pushed yeah, the yeah, tooth yeah, button yeah, again. Yeah, you're never going to be able to do that again because this okay. thing is no. in there. I know, life. right? There's no, there's nothing else funny about this. <laughs> The jokes are gone. Okay, okay but going yeah. back to the innards of right. being a string yeah. musician, yes. I was brought up, and yeah. I don't know about you, but I yeah. was brought up with this notion of you need to check your personal life at the door before you walk into rehearsal. Well, and yeah. I have started to learn that yeah. that's just not realistic to do. Right. Um, and I think that it's slightly false. And I understand the reason to say so. The reason being you need to treat your colleagues with respect. Yeah, and, that's know, right. But I also think that it's enabling a compartmentalization that's not mm-hmm. really yeah. reasonable, especially yeah. in certain circumstances. Right. So I just, I'm addressing slightly when conflict does arise in rehearsals, right? Yeah. And it, I guess I'll just say it from my words. I don't yeah. know if you want to chime in at any point, sure. but when things like that happen, because we are humans and we have mm-hmm. uh, an outside life that influences what we do inside the quartet, mm-hmm. it's allowing a bubble Bu- of yeah. forgiveness. Yeah. And if someone says something, something at you in a way that you immediately interpret as something very harsh or negative. Right. It's taking a step back, as you say, like holding it back and say, wait a second. No, like, where's this person coming from? This isn't so personal at me. There's something else happening. Yeah. I mean, at, first of all, I wasn't, nobody ever told me anything. <laughs> <laughs> Nancy, what <laughs> 
had in music was when my stand partner in the university symphony, who was a doctoral student at the time that I was a master's student, was new. I mean, he was, so we're sitting together and he's the concert master now of the orchestra. And he turns to me after I made my millionth mistake and he said, Nancy, I have a piece of advice for you. And I said, what? He said, never make your mistake on a rest during right. a don't rest. play in the hole right. don't play in the hole he said yeah. if you just remember that one thing you're gonna be fine so that was <laughs> i mean that's pretty good advice i mean it was, honestly it was don't like play a, just don't play exactly just don't play yeah. so i was just like that just woke me up i i think until that point nobody ever told me anything in rehearsals i didn't know yeah. what you were supposed to do so in quartet, I have had to learn at a late stage, park your personal life at the door, okay? Mm-hmm. Because when I was younger, I only did my music through my filter of my personal life. Okay. And I am grateful for the years that I spent in Boston, really. I really am, because that's, I was absorbing a lot about the finesse of music making there with the various musicians that I worked with, but I was also learning that craft of, we have to get somewhere with this. We, we mm-hmm. you know, we don't have all day here. Mm-hmm. So I don't think I consciously made this decision, but I, I absorbed the need for parking your personal life at the door, you you know, let's, okay. we, yeah, there's a lot that we've got to get through here. We've all got personal lives. We've all got stuff going on. So we've got to get through this. So what I like about, I played with various chamber orchestras and various other settings, very, you know, various other chamber music settings besides playing in our quartet. So there was a lot of opportunity to learn from yeah. really Multiple fine musicians. Multiple people. Multiple right. people. And just bringing that with me and then family life. And here we are, 36 six seasons later and where we're at and and I and I love this about you Patty that you get this is that it's the music that says oh no don't don't ignore your personal life that's mm-hmm. you bring that into your music you don't have to necessarily take it out on your colleagues right you know but you're bringing that in and through this string quartet immersive experience you're solving situations in your right. own life that's right Yes. And one super obvious thing that I think all performing musicians will say is you can come into a rehearsal sick and go out of the rehearsal well. Yeah. You can forget all about that headache you had or you're really not feeling your best and you'll be revived Mm -hmm. through the music, through all that. So it is, it's a combination of we are human beings. We are coming in with all kinds of life stressors, day stressors, night stressors, whatever. We're coming in with that and that's okay. That's That's part of, that's that's an ingredient. That's an ingredient. You can't ignore, right. You cannot ignore that. Yeah. You can't. And yet you have to bring yourself to the point of, first of all, you realize I respect the people that I'm playing with. Uh Uh-huh. And so their idiosyncrasies are a result of what's going on in their life. That's right. And that's okay. (laughs) That's okay because they're dealing with mine too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, that's the best part when everyone is on board to having the kind of rehearsal that we need that day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we might start off with an idea of how things are going to proceed and something changes that midway mm-hmm. through the rehearsal or whatever, and we right. come out with something even better. Right. Now, I like to think oftentimes, if there's two opposing ideas, mm-hmm. that I love to take half of both and combine them. Oh, yeah. 
Because I think that's oftentimes where, you know, nothing's yeah. black or white. There's always, no. it's the gray area that yeah. that is actually more or less right. going to be the most right. accessible or, I don't want to call it the truth because that makes it absolute, but, yeah. but I love, yeah. I love finding like, well, can't it be both kind of oh, solution? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, it can. And you know, that's the thing. That's what we have found is of course it can. Right. Of course it can. You yeah. just have to be willing to get there. Yeah. And that takes yeah. all the steps that we were just talking about. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. This memory just popped into my head. Okay. There was one time I was in a string quartet in school in San mm-hmm. Francisco Conservatory of Music. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how why this was the case, but maybe it was because I was in the chamber music program and the other people in the quartet were not in that program. Uh-huh. They're fine musicians. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything, but I right. don't know if it was for whatever reason that was maybe one of the first groups that I was in where I was I had a little bit more experience going into it. Let's put okay. it that way. Maybe sure. that's the reason I had a chip on my shoulder or whatever. But there was one experiment I did with this group where we we were playing a Haydn string quartet Mm -hmm. and we rotated not our music we rotated chairs and played each other's parts oh you did yeah so I would play first violin part on my cello I mean on our instruments I wouldn't play the violin and play it I would play the first violin part on the cello then the second violinist would be playing my part or something and we'd rotate four times around like you were able to read each other's clef well I mean viola the alta clef was a little bit you know a struggle but regardless (laughs) we just did a small section of it cool it was a slow introduction movement so it wasn't like there was that much oh fine fine so it was a little bit more manageable but we we literally switched chairs yeah but kept our music in the same spot okay and i didn't know what i was getting myself into when i proposed this suggestion yeah but once i did it Mm -hmm. it gave me so much of an insight as to how hard each role in a string quartet is oh my god like, you know what, Patty? The only position I haven't sat in is the cello. Sure. Because I've had to play viola once, right? right? Yeah. I've had to play, well, actually twice. Okay, once, and but but this was with our ACMS student group. I had to fill in at a concert on yeah. viola. What an experience. And then, of course, the violins, you know, we're used, we have. Yeah, you flip-flop all the time. We have flip-flopped all the time. So, yeah. Yeah, so go on. So so what else did you notice? Well, first of all, like, okay, from my perspective as a cellist, I'm yeah. always most concerned about being a good foundation for the rest of the string quartet. Yeah. And being a good foundation means having good rhythm or timing, I should say, not yeah. necessarily rhythm. Good timing. Yeah. Good intonation. Yeah. And good blend of sound. Yeah. So that's just where yep. my headspace is. Yep. Like, that's my number one priority. Right. right? Everything else is going to be frosting right. on the cake. If I switch to viola and I play the viola part, I felt like the music that was written for that... And also my role in it was to look and try to be the glue between mm-hmm. the cello and the violins. Yeah. Everything I was doing was either filling in harmonies that yeah. the cello couldn't do. Right. It was playing some textural thing that the second violin might need some help with. Yeah. Or just right. Interesting. I'm going to finish up because I want to say, yeah. And then if I remember what yeah. it felt like to be the second violin, mm-hmm. maybe That's I should a, end with the second okay. violin. Sure. And then if I rotated around to the first violin, yeah. I remember my eyes were just as wide as possible and I was so laser focused on all the notes on the page. <laughs> yeah. That was like number one objective was just play the music. That's right. like, I mean, of right. course I'm sight reading and I'm pl- trying to figure it yeah. out on the cello. It's high. Yeah. But, but similarly, I was like, I don't have time to think about anything else other right. than my part and making it sound good. Yeah. And I'm like, and please, I hope the rest of the group is making me sound okay. Like, you know what I mean? Yes. And then, and then if I turn myself for the last time in the second violin spot, 
Right. It was marrying everything together. Right. I mean, of course, more of my attention was going to be towards the first violin because there's a lot of blend that can naturally happen there. And where the music's written is supportive of the first violin. But it also was, hey, I can also be a little bit on the lower side of my instrument. I can listen to the cello. I can listen to the viola. And I'm just the added hinge in that connection. You know, okay, that's cool. That is cool. It was really cool. That is, that is, that is really cool. It's hard to explain that. I don't even I think I was the greatest at explaining it now. No, you are. You are. And what I liked about that is the slightly different perspective that you and I have had. Me coming to the viola as a violinist and you coming to the viola as a cellist. Right. For me, sitting there playing the instrument is like, oh, what a soulful experience. Sure. Because, uh, because yeah, I mean, this instrument, wow. Just playing yeah. this instrument is so... Uh, just the resonance is just down in my chest, right? Yes. And so I'm thinking of that coming to it as a violinist. The thing about sitting in the... First of all, sitting in the second violin seat, I feel like a chameleon. Mm-hmm. And when I don't get it right, you know, like when we're first learning a piece, or blah, 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 I'm like, I'm a, I'm a very bad chameleon. <laughs> and then I try to get to be a better chameleon. But I really love, basically, I get to play duets with everybody in the quartet. I'm yeah. either with the cello. That's or, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I should oh, have said that. That's oh, the better way of saying it. Oh, it's true. But it's true. Yeah, because I am. I'm, we, I can really play easily with you. I love cello second violin stuff and then of course Annalie and I were the farthest away from each other and yet we're supposed to be gluing this thing from the inside and that's hard that is really hard being very far away from each other although we have the line of sight or whatever and we can see each other's instruments the best now the first Mm -hmm. violin is a second violinist I've never talked to another second violinist in another quartet about this I need to have that second violin's anonymous meeting (laughs) but you know it's like first of all I see the back of the instrument Okay, that yes. I, I I don't fully see where the bow is contacting the, the string. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. by ear. It's by feel. It's by gesture. It's by, you know, all, listening, 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 playing with the violin and making sure that, first of all, I don't get to play up in all those really wonderful, colorful Athletic. positions. Yeah. You know, because really I have to temper that and get back down into first position and play it right and play it so that it's an open sound. So the first violin has something to sink right. into. Right. Now, sitting over in the first violin seat is totally like when when you ask me what instrument would you play would you be if you weren't violin okay you're sitting over there it's like bam I get to sing. Yeah. You right. just get to yeah. sing. You get yeah. to sing. Yes. It's nice. Cause I, th- okay, here's a plug for Ray shows. I love his singing voice. I love his, I love the way he sounds on the violin, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just love that, you know, he's singing and he's got a, a beautiful way of playing. So I don't think I could do that for 36 years if that weren't the case, you know, but swapping out once in a while has been fun and it's a tough spot. So it, it's, it's incredible, isn't it? To realize that everybody has an important, important role to play right an important and there's different levels of that right and and of course then also the composer switches those roles on a microsecond level oh yeah yeah like i love it when for example in the barber adagio for strings sure the second violin at one moment gets the bass line that's right i love it when they Mm -hmm. write like that and i'm the viola and i are above you it's like such a it's such a gut-wrenching sound oh yeah Yeah. it's it's like what you know how barber came to that decision to voice it that way Uh oh it's genius 
Right. Yeah, it's genius right. to, to do that. Yeah, I, I agree with you when we when we switch roles. And that is great string quartet writing. That's the part when you're in a string quartet and you realize that the composer fully gets it. To write for a string quartet, it's like, you're not just writing a string quartet, you're writing for the quartet. Right. Yeah, right. for you, what this it's, it's them knowing those yes. micro levels that yeah. we deal with on a regular basis. Yeah. And, or we try to refine, I should yeah. say, in rehearsal, right? Yeah. There are a lot of gems out there where mm-hmm. a composer, maybe not as well known or, or whatever, or maybe a new composer, you realize that they're onto it. That's yeah. exciting for me when I find mm-hmm. a young composer or a, a, somebody I didn't know before and, and it's like, oh, wow, they get it. I think that's why we continue to return to that Walker lyric for strength. Oh, for heaven's sake, yes. Yeah, isn't that true? George Walker. He got it. He had something to say and he knew how to say it through the yeah. quartet. That's a beautiful word. He yeah. called that movement a lament. I don't know if he retitled it to lyric, but at any rate, it was a lament. No, but that's actually kind of a fair point and ties in with what we were speaking about earlier. I mean, he wrote this movement for the death of his grandmother. In grief of right, his grandmother. And so, again, it's those tender moments that you need music you need it you know yeah. and that's yeah or at least for musicians that's what we, we do just... yeah we do and even if you don't know the, the reason for him writing it it's all right there in the music you know for you to have your own personal experience with it totally uh, one thing i did realize during the break was why it was hard for me to the um, pandemic break you mean the lockdown. no us oh. you and i during this little break oh <laughs> okay. i i i went out and checked my beef stew it's very mm-hmm. good the carrots they're really good. Anyway, what I realized was why it was so difficult for me to come up with a musician that I look up to. I can't, I can't remember how you worded it. Um, Most inspired musical hero of any yeah. genre. Well, there it is. So it was, I forgot. For me, it's the Guaneri Quartet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and I had been trying to think of a person. Like one person. Yeah. Yes. I was trying to think of a person. I was like, well, I, I listen to a lot of violinists. And I have listened to a lot of violinists from a long time ago. And like my tastes are changing. Right. As, yeah, I definitely have. I mean, I grew up listening to Henry Sharing's recordings. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I collected both sets of his solo mm-hmm. Bach just to hear what he did the second time and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So on vinyl, I had those on vinyl. Right. Right. But I realized that over time, the Guaneri Quartet has lasted for me. Yeah. I grew up listening to their vinyl recordings, and I didn't know how they created the sound they got, you know. Mm-hmm. And of course, I was listening to recordings, but it was, so some of that is how did they create the recorded sound? I don't know. I'm not into microphones, but their playing was just incredible for me and just hearing the quartets that they played I was enamored of that I think it was when I finally met them heard them live and I was much older than that so when I finally got to meet them that was very inspirational to just see them as people and then they sit down on stage and they're playing and again getting back to thinking about that they weren't perfect Forming for us, they were playing for us. Mm-hmm. And that was really great for me to see that there was a combination of technique 
talent, just how open they were and how much they had absorbed from their teachers, their mentors about the art of quartet playing and about the art of presenting these Beethoven quartets that I would hear them play and all that sort of thing. That was great for me. And then I I suppose the icing on the cake was when Arnold Steinhardt became our guest artist and came and played with us. And of course he had to play viola and it was wonderful. It didn't really matter what instrument he was playing. He was an inspired artist Mm -hmm. sitting with us and teaching as he played, inspiring me to be a better musician than I could ever hope to be. So Mm -hmm. I think that's that's where I would go with the Guarneri, is that their interpretations of music at the time when I was a young person was beyond anything I could have uh, imagined in my own life. Playing with my siblings, playing with my friends, going to college, even grad school, and having uh, the Guarneri Quartet in my life was really great for me. You sparked another thought in me, which is that the reason why this old music has survived for so long mm-hmm. is because it's the script that never changes and what does that mean i was about to try to explain okay meaning it's the unifying factor between generations of people okay yes now because i've thought about this a lot yeah about what you just said so right it transcends the years it doesn't come in and out of popularity Mm -hmm. it is what it is it's an Mm -hmm. art form what i like about great old pieces of music that we continue to play is that they're flexible they have a flexibility of interpretation yeah that i was an undeveloped thought okay but we are in agreement okay we're in agreement yes yeah because when i listen to you talking about admiring and the magic behind right. the Guarneri Quartet. Mm-hmm. You wanted to stab at that same music. Right. And you're like, how did they do it? I'm going to get in there and I'm going to play the same piece of music that they're creating magic out of. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to figure out the tools I need. You're trying to figure out what the Guarneris did. And you get yourself in there with yeah. a different set of people. Yeah. And, a- and then you find your people. Because there are some people who don't care. I mean, you're, you're right. at school and they, oh, put you, the they assign you to a group. And like, oh, nobody cares. And they're like, this is just, this is, yeah. No, we gotta exactly. get through this and play it for our jury, so shut up. <laughs> yeah, like this is just homework. Get yes. it out of the way. Yeah. Okay, when I was young, honestly, we did not have access to hearing these groups. You either had to buy the vinyl recording yeah. if it came into your life, or they had to come into your town and play. Mm-hmm. Or, or, you know, I mean, there were these excursions from my small town in La Crosse. You know, we'd have maybe once every five years a quartet would come to town. Isaac Stern used to come all the time. But okay, so what I'm saying is I didn't have access to great artists like the Guarneri Quartet at my disposal. I did have a music library once I got to college and I lived in the music library Mm -hmm. listening to music Mm -hmm. and going through the stacks and just looking at all the music books. But to learn the pieces, we were really on our own. Good faculty who were educated and could steer us in a direction. But yeah, we were really left to our own devices for interpretation. And so I I can only say about myself, I'm sure that I got away with murder. I'm sure that I imposed myself a little bit too much into the music. Mm -hmm. And the beauty, as 
you grow up and mature is realizing that these great artists are servants of the music. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, you know, you can look at them and say, oh, they're great players, which they are. And they are great servants to the music. And that's where I just am fascinated with all the study, the score study, the mm-hmm. stylistic study, the change of style since I was young to where I am now, the change sure. in interpretation of Haydn quartets, mm-hmm. you know, the classical composers. You know, just, wow. It never grows old. I totally agree. But part of me bringing up this idea is that, let's say that you wanted to try to be the next Guarneri String Quartet. Sure. Yeah. Well, I'd love to be that. Yeah. But there's never, that's never going to happen. No. Because that's not the same four people in the same room interpreting the same same way. And so I think that's where it's so interesting to me to look at music in that historical way. Yeah. That no one ever has the right answers. No. There's no... you say getting away with murder i'm almost like well who says oh i know i know right no just me that's no, right. i know no no but that's know. right right, yeah, right. Yeah. but but really good teaching really good teaching is finally when i was able to study with people who walked the walk of a string quartet life, the greatest thing that anyone could impart to me, any one of them, was to trust myself. Mm -hmm. Trust yourself. Mm -hmm. Listen. Absorb. Be yourself. If you feel something about the music. The thing I didn't realize is that they were always eager to listen to a new interpretation. Yes. They weren't expecting, they didn't want us to play like Because they heard it already. Yeah, I was like, no, we already heard that. Oh my gosh. I'll try to make this as brief as possible. The quartet, we're in, Bo- we're living in Boston, okay, and we get a phone call from Alexander Schneider's secretary. She says, Mr. Schneider would like to hear you. Okay, we're like, what does that mean? Okay, fine. When? How does next blah, blah Tuesday blah, blah, blah work? You know, we're looking at each other and we're like, we will make that work. Okay, yeah, sure, that's fine. We'll right. Okay, she gives us the address. The time, show up, Mr. Alexander would like to hear you. So we get in the car from Boston, we drive down to New York, we park the car, and there's this little chocolate brown building amongst all the skyscrapers of New York, and there's this little building, and it's Alexander Schneider's address, and there's a white doorbell. And we go up and we ring the doorbell, and we wait about 10 minutes while Mr. Schneider comes down from the second floor to the first floor to answer the door and the reason is because he has his foot in a cast Mm -hmm. so he can't move very fast and he opens the front door and we go in and it's a great big rehearsal room all painted white and it's a long rectangular room and he says come in and we take our instruments out of our cases and we go to the end of the room and there are four falling apart wicker chairs and four way too high rickety folding music stands that we have to actually look up to see our music. We're practically down on the floor caving in in these wicker chairs. And so he says, what did you bring to play? So we rattle off Shostakovich. No, I don't want to hear that. Okay, so Brahms. Mm, I don't want to hear that. Okay, so we're we're naming off all you know composer after composer, and finally it was Beethoven. Okay, play, play me your Beethoven. Okay, we played. He goes, that'll be fine. And we're like, what do you mean that'll be fine? <laughs> what do you mean that'll be fine? <laughs> was it? <laughs> what was do we? Yeah, I mean, do you have anything to say about our Beethoven? <laughs> and so 
So then he wants to hear, we, we have Bear Gopus 3. I want to hear Bear Gopus 3. Mm-hmm. So we have Bear Gopus 3, and we start playing it, and he goes and turns his face into the opposite wall. He's standing with his back to us and his head against the wall. Okay, and so we're playing it, and, you know, the opening to it is just ginormous in the cello and all this stuff. And so it's like, louder. And we're like, so we're playing like, louder and he starts yelling and screaming at us louder and so he comes over and takes our cellist's bow arm and just like blasts it into the instrument and everything and we're we're falling off the chairs and our music (laughs) is falling off these rickety stands we're like what is this and then he says okay what Haydn did you bring me and we rattled off Haydn after Haydn after we we listed at least a dozen opus numbers yeah you you know all that and and he's like I've already heard it I've already heard it. I've already heard it. I've already heard it. And I'm like, okay, of course you've already heard it. I mean, I know you've already heard, you've heard everything. Right. I mean, do you, what? And so finally we had Haydn Opus 77, number one, the G major. He said, mm-hmm. I'd like play that for me. Mm-hmm. And then we go through this whole thing again. And he puts his face against the opposite wall down at the end of the room. And he's yelling at us to play it louder. And we play it. We're crashing our bows into our strings. And he says, that will be fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> And then he sent us out on the street. He says, that's it. You can go. Yeah. And so we're like, we get out there and we're literally tossed out on the sidewalk. And we're like, what? What just happened? What just <laughs> what happened? What vortex was this? He did, he wasn't interested in our interpretations. I mean, he already, yeah. had, it sounded like, you know, it's like, I've heard that. I, I don't need to hear you guys. I don't need to hear mm. blah, blah, blah. So mm. we're, we're standing out there trying to figure out what, okay. And um, we drive back to Boston and nothing happens. And right. a couple days go by and we get a phone call from his secretary. And we're expecting she's going to ask us for our address so she can send us his bill. And we're just yeah. like, how are we going to pay for that we don't even know i mean how much does he charge you know we don't sure and uh she calls and she says mr schneider would like to engage you for his concert series at the new school next season blah mm-hmm. blah blah and he'd like you to play the barrack opus three the haydn opus 77 number one and the beethoven blah 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 or whatever i think we ended up playing actually we ended up playing a clarinet quintet with michael okay. webster okay oh yeah yeah Shout with michael. michael yeah yeah with michael mm-hmm. webster came down and played with us and basically what that was was he needed to hear us play and he needed to know which Haydn because since the inception of the concert series there had been a Haydn quartet presented on every single concert a Haydn quartet and he had heard them all he was like going through his mental memory like which ones haven't we heard on the series yet and 77-1 hadn't been played yet and there were very few left by the time we got there to play so he had heard practically all of them on the series but you know in talking about interpretation for us, it was basically a real wake-up call. Mm-hmm. Is this man is not judging our interpretation. He's judging whether the level of our play is high enough right. to present on his series. That's He for, wants yes. to hear us. Mm-hmm. He's interested enough. He wants to put us on his concert series because he wants to hear us play. He wants to mm-hmm. hear the interpretation we're going to give to that Haydn 77-1. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, was the moment of trust yourself. Yeah. 
Trust yourself. We've educated ourselves. We're not trying to make it up. We're trying to be part of the flow of tradition. Okay, we're, we're trying to do that. And yet he's, he's telling us in an instant, you have arrived at a point in your ability to play as a string quartet that suffices for us to hear you in New York. Mm-hmm. Now let's hear what you're going to say. Right. Oh, man. Right. So I, the way I was taught this okay. was you have to be so convinced of what you're saying even if you don't agree with it you have to be convinced Convinced. because if you are convinced then the audience is convinced oh yeah no one can well people can say oh i don't like that well Mm -hmm. i don't know that's not Mm -hmm. how i hear it or whatever absolutely but but if you come into it slightly apologetic in any way Mm -hmm. you're not gonna sell it's not gonna gonna work no because because yeah no keep going and no i just was gonna you know say i think i've walked that line so long in my life to a point where i think it's gotten me in danger in in trouble my dad likes to say about my mom sorry mom but that my mom (laughs) is frequently wrong but never in doubt ah i love it but I also feel like I've tiptoed that line in life. Yeah. Yes. And, oh, and yeah. The more that you can be convinced in your interpretation of something yeah. and as a group together in that yeah. moment, yeah. even if it's wrong, it's still worthy to hear. It, it's different and it's new. It is true. I don't know. If, I don't know if I, I said that well. Patty, you said it very well. It's so true, Patty. A lot of it is where we come from, mm-hmm. you know. And let me just say, when I was teaching in Boston, I was teaching children of highly educated musicians. I did not have that luxury as a child growing up. You've never heard of the people that I studied with as a young child. And yet, they were awesome. I was in the hands of very capable adults. When I left my cocoon to explore the larger world, my first experience of doing that was going to the Aspen Music Festival and getting on the bus from Denver to Aspen with a bus full of musicians going to Aspen, okay, from around the country, not knowing anyone, and listening to the chit-chat on the bus and the buzz, 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 and finally, honestly, somebody finally kind of just like, oh, hey, hi, where are you from? And me saying, the turbo. Okay, we were all kind of in the back half of the bus. That was the reaction of the back half of the bus. And I mean, I had heard them tossing around the words Juilliard and Eastman yeah, a lot. Right. That's the shield. Yeah. Yeah, that's shield. And and so the reaction was, huh? And silence. Uh-huh. And then they all went back to their conversations. <laughs> okay. And that was fine. And then kind of going from there and then going, you know, into the bigger, U- I transferred to a bigger university and, you know, yeah, who was your teacher? Well, you know, well, it was sister so-and-so and, you know, <laughs> okay. It's things like that. And, and yet, and you know, you want, you want to know something? It was okay because I did okay. I mm-hmm. actually, you know, found myself in uh, leadership roles that I was used to coming from mm-hmm. a small school. I was used to being in a leadership role. And you take your roots with you wherever you go. And so I think it is that that makes the musical world interesting. My God, if we were all just cookie cutters of each other, yeah. what a bore. Well, then there's no lineage of interpretation. There's or... no, yeah. 
There's no room. There's no room for interpretation. It's do it my way or the highway. And that's not the case. And we're all here to learn from each other Mm -hmm. anyway. So the best lesson that I learned from all of those earlier experiences is you are you and we welcome you and keep being you. That's right. And be interpreting that. I just want to get better at what I do. I want to know more and I like doing this and I want to do a better job for Mr. Beethoven. That's right. Yeah. I I want to serve the music too. Yeah, Nancy, obviously, I mean, I can just pick your brain for days, especially when it comes to this. Okay. But I do want to, again, talk about a little bit about Beethoven and okay. our cycle and yeah. how that is such a different yeah. way of approaching. I guess we put him on a pedestal, but I, I mean it in a way that it yes. sounds like. But what we okay. actually are doing is we're just trying to understand it deeper. It's not that we are looking up at it. We are trying to read between the ink and the page. We absolutely are, and trying to know him better. Yeah, that's you exactly. know, I, I always, I was like, I always love reading the backstories about Beethoven. Uh-huh. You know, what was he like as a person? What was he like as a friend? What did people think of him? How was he? You know, there's always more and more coming out and, and all that. And reading the score from the other three instruments that I think is what I want to do for our audience is when you come to hear the Beethoven quartets, you're not going to hear a stale rerun of anything you've heard already. It's not cold, it's warmth. It's the personhood inside the music. It's this man's experiences, this man interacting with us through the written page, just like an author, through the mm-hmm. written word, we're going to get an experience and it's going to be personal to each one of us. And you can mm-hmm. focus on, you know, you as an audience member, none of us knows other people in the, in the audience are, are getting out of it. It's what we're getting out of it that day, that evening, mm-hmm. that for that hour, you can trust that the music is quality. That's right. Okay. So he's got the Beethoven brand going. Okay. People, when they read Beethoven, It's going to be quality and we're going to do our darndest to present it and interact with it in a pure fashion, one that obviously it's filtered through the four of us, but we've thought about this a lot. And so it's exciting. It's really exciting to have this uh, meeting between the performer and the listener, and we're both engaging with the composer. I wish that I could get people excited about that. I really do. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I want people to get excited about that. Because we are excited. Because we're excited about it. (laughs) We love love this. We absolutely love doing, we love this and we can do this. And once you've done a cycle like this, ah, now that's a transformative performance. A cycle of a body of work is a transformative experience for both the performer and the listener. It's a transformative experience. And I think Beethoven quartets are worthy of it. Oh yeah. I do believe that when we did the Shostakovich cycle, that that was a worthy project. I would do it again. There are other composers that I'm interested in doing in the future. And if you had asked me maybe five years ago or something, I'd say, oh, you know, I want to do the last four Schubert quartets as a cycle. Performed all of them, but I'd like to do them en masse. I have done all the Bartok quartets, six Bartoks, but would like to do that as a cycle. But you know what? I think it's more important that we continue on our mission of inclusivity and put maybe 
some other projects on the front burner before we do another cycle. We've got to continue to find and educate ourselves and our audiences about composers that we have overlooked, Mm -hmm. not presented, or just have not had the time, had not made the time for, and now we're making the time for it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a beautiful way of phrasing everything about what we do in the quartet and what we, I think, collectively agree upon. Yeah. Why we're still showing up to rehearsal every, you know? Yeah. And I think that that's why it works. It's because we each value that relationship between the composer, the life that that person led, how that is a universal experience that we all share throughout time, throughout generations. Yes. And how we can still relate. It's an emotional blueprint of what the human experience is like without words. Indeed. And that is, that is magic. With four people in a room. That's that's why we do what we do. That's 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 it, Nancy. That's why we do what we do. It's fun to bring guests in Mm -hmm. to do quintets and sextets and octets. It is wonderful to bring them into our space and to share those experiences together. And then it's always wonderful to come home to the quartet. That's right. Well, can I ask you two final questions? Yes. What is one piece of advice you would tell your younger self about entering and pursuing a music career? Well, I would say have faith that it's all going to work out. Yeah. Because it's a journey. That's it. I think too often the way that people approach a career is by benchmarks and achieving that and climbing a ladder. It's not. And I wish that that wasn't ingrained in us at such a young age. And that's also the reason why we are doing the cycle is because it's a journey through all of them. It's not just one out of out of For context. sure. And I love the way we have organized the cycle. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Me too. I, yeah. I'm, I've been enjoying it actually yep. as we've been rehearsing. It's like, oh, that makes sense that, oh, this is so, yeah, anyway. Yep. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yep. So have faith is have your, faith. my second question. As we enter a post-pandemic world-ish, what elements of your musical pandemic life would you want to continue and what would you want to shed? Well, I think that, I, well, I've learned, but collectively as the quartet too, I've learned to not sweat small stuff. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I don't miss, I think we're all going to say the same thing, honestly. I don't miss the rat race. We have slowed down, all of us, and we're focusing on the things that needed to be taken care of during the pandemic. Each other's health. I started bike riding, and I want to continue that. I bought a bike! No. <laughs> I just know the story. <laughs> ah, shut up! Shut up! Oh, <laughs> You mean the story of me and Walgreens? And yeah, when I yeah, well, I, that story, but also the mean? one, the other one where you put WD forty on the bike because oh, I did the brakes were so horrible. <laughs> I keep thinking about those people. I wonder if they still have the bikes. The Walgreens was, if I think about it, it was so surreal, Patty. It was so surreal. Did it really happen? It really did happen. I really did fall into my bike with that stupid kryptonite block right. on my back. Right, right, right. I fell into the oxygen tanks. <laughs> and these two young guys are just standing there like, and then I had I just had to act like it's a totally normal day. Don't other right, people nothing. come in here? Don't other customers come in here to the same thing? <laughs> so you've been bike riding. That's what you want to keep I've been bike riding and I really love it. I bought a new used bike and I really like it. And Ray's got a really nice used bike too. And we're going to continue riding bikes. When weather permitted. Yeah. Okay. Are there any platforms or websites for listeners to learn more about you or any upcoming projects? Well, 
artariaquartet.com is going to tell you about the Beethoven cycle and when the concerts are and where. Please do go to artariaquartet.com to see what we're up to. I've been keeping it updated, so it should be pretty current. Beethoven Pass. There's a Beethoven Pass. To hear all three Beethoven concerts at Sundon Music Hall, there's a pass. Single Beethoven tickets are $24, but you can get a pass for all three concerts for $63. Right, so Twin Cities mm-hmm. people, check that out. I mean, mm-hmm. I think it's worth. You might as well just commit to all three dates right now. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And those dates for the Twin Cities folks are going to be Saturday, January 15th at 7.30, Saturday, February 19th at 7.30, and March 18th at 7.30, all at Sundon Music Hall at Hamlin University. And for those listening outside of the cities, we're going to come visit Northfield at St. Olaf College. For those dates, you can check out our website as well as Starling Recital Hall at Viterbo in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I mean, that's got to feel nice to return back to your hometown and play the music that inspired you back then. Yes. Well, if you enjoyed listening, be sure to smash that subscribe button wherever you're tuning into this podcast. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. It doesn't need to be long. Your review will help others search for the podcast because of its crazy algorithms. And you'll make Sushi's Day, and it's free. Make sure to share this podcast with your friends and family as well. If you want to level up, you can always become part of the Hide and Behind the Music Stand family by donating what you will on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash hide and music stand. Our social media handle for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter is at hide and music stand, and we'd love to hear from you at our email, hidingmusicstand at gmail.com. Didn't recognize the piece we discussed during the episode? No worries. There's a Spotify playlist with all the music discussed for your convenience. The link is in the description of each episode. Nancy, it warms my heart to talk to you about the creative musical process and how much we are so excited to be able to do that together for the Beethoven cycle. Patty, it has been a sincere pleasure to talk to you about all of this outside of our quartet rehearsals and performances it's been really great to have have this chat yeah thank Thank you for inviting me absolutely i'll see you tomorrow in rehearsal yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks patty it's been great it's been very great and thanks for listening sushi say bye